New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. A spiritual experience has been described by some as an encounter with the presence of the infinite within the finite universe of time and space. It takes on many forms and can be conceived in a wide variety of ways. How do we gain a deeper understanding of such a spiritual experience and why is it important? What does it have to do with our evolving consciousness? And what is evolutionary spirituality? We'll be exploring these and many other questions with our guest today, Steve McIntosh. Steve McIntosh is a leader in the Integral Philosophy Movement. He's president and co-founder of the nonprofit social policy and think tank organization, the Institute for Cultural Evolution. He founded the consumer products company Now and Zen and practiced law and held an executive position with Celestial Seasonings Tea Company. And he is an honored graduate of the University of Virginia Law School and the University of Southern California Business School. Besides these accomplishments, he enjoys Olympic class bicycle racing. He's the author of Integral Consciousness, The Future of Evolution, Evolution's Purpose and Integral Interpretation of the Scientific Story of Our Origins, and The Presence of the Infinite, the Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. Join us for the next hour as we explore evolutionary spirituality with our guest, Steve McIntosh. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Steve, welcome. Thank you, Justine. It's really a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to be with you, too. Steve, in this conversation, we're going to touch on such themes as theism, non-dualism, traditionalism, modernism, postmodernism, spiritual progressionism, progressivism, uh, and spiritual evolution. So, before we get into all of those deep subjects, or seemingly deep subjects, let's first establish why is it important to talk about these things? Well, I think spiritual experience is important and indeed fundamental to human happiness and well-being because I think it's spiritual experience which promotes spiritual growth more effectively and reliably than any other 
thing we could do to practice our spirituality. In other words, having a spiritual experience evolves your consciousness. But spiritual experience is, is not only good for our personal development and spiritual growth, it's also can be, when properly employed in our lives, it can be extremely effective in our work in the world. That is when we appreciate how spiritual experience comes to us in the forms of the beautiful, the true, and the good. Whatever work we do, there's an element of beauty, truth, and goodness in our work. And by bringing that out and by focusing on the spiritual experience that is available within those intrinsic values, we can help bring spiritual experience to our fellows. You know, we, and, and that, in some ways, that's how we co-create the universe. You know, the, the element of reality that humans can co-create that's more than material is spiritual. And spiritual, the spiritual has an existence in the finite realm as spiritual experience itself. So, Steve, you're talking about it as more than just a moral compass. Right. I'm, I'm talking, as you mentioned in the introduction, this idea that the experience of spirit in its many forms, you know, mystical, psychedelic, through the beautiful, the true, and the good, all the different ways that humans can experience spirit can be conceptualized and understood as literally the presence of the infinite within the finite. In other words, when we have an experience of spirit, the finite becomes thin to reveal the infinite that's underneath you know, Ramana Maharshi described the idea of reality. It was like a, a movie being projected on a screen. You know, when, when the, the movie goes blank, you can see the screen underneath. That's in some ways how we can understand the, the, the penetration or the imminence of spirit within the world and within our experience. Beauty is an excellent example of this as, as an illustration because when we see something exceptionally beautiful, whether it's a, a, a beautiful person or a beautiful scene in nature or some extremely inspiring art, the beauty itself is in a sense visible as a sort of a, a numinous quality, a, a sort of faint traces of perfection that, uh, that, that is exhibited by the beauty. Even though it's always possible to make something more beautiful, the beauty itself is the extent to which something is expressing perfection. In other words, its evolution could proceed no further and we can equate the infinite with perfect being, if you will, and that the experience of this thing uh, makes us more real. So are you saying like if we're looking at that incredible sunset, nothing needs to be changed for the perfection of the beauty of it? Right, in that moment, in that the moment. beauty that is expressed by the unity and the, and the variety of the sunset is in a sense our ability to perceive perfection within that moment, mm -hmm. within that within that view. And, and that experience of, of perfection in our through our senses gives us a clue to this this nature of spirit as infinite. Uh, you know, the, the nice idea of the infinite is that it practically every spiritual path recognizes infinity as a quality of, of spirit in one way or another. And so conceptualizing and talking about it as the infinite is both pluralistically open because it can be understood from a non-dual context or a theistic or panentheistic context. Uh, but it also gives us a sense of how spiritual experience is the experience of something that's outside of time and space. It's not an object, it, it's, it, it, but it's not merely subjective either. It uh, brings subject and object together in the course of being seen. Now, talking about spiritual experience, and I want to get to maybe a little example of your own spiritual experiences. But before I do that, I just want to mention, 
in in the materialistic scientific viewpoint right. of spiritual experience there and with the new brain imaging uh, capabilities like PET scans or fMRIs for functional MRIs, they're saying, oh, it's just a matter of of chemical firings in our brain. It's all in the head. It's yeah. all in the head. Yeah. So what do you have to say about that? Well, I reject that um, uh, estimate of spiritual experience. I think there, there are um, theological reasons why materialists are compelled to try to explain away um, that which points to a larger spiritual worldview. And spiritual experience is, is one of the most uh, um, uh, direct and powerful pieces of evidence for the reality of spirit. And it's ubiquitous for most people. I mean, most people can talk about some moment in their life where they've had that numinous experience. Right, right. And some people have had deep, life-transforming mystical experiences. But even people who claim to not have had a spiritual experience— properly understood from an evolutionary perspective, the, every instance of authentic beauty, truth, and goodness is a spiritual experience. And mm-hmm. so unpacking how and why those values are authentic expressions of the infinite within the finite can expand our understanding of how spiritual experience can do good work in the world and how it can evolve our own consciousness and grow us spiritually. So let's talk about your own evolution of spiritual experience. So give some examples of where where are you in this whole uh, journey of spirit of spirituality? Sure. Well I wasn't raised in a religious family and I don't identify directly with any organized religion. Um, and, and, but I certainly uh, am an advocate of evolutionary spirituality, which is its own, you know, it, it's a pluralistic agreement that includes many different spiritual paths, but which transcends the best of what's come before. Well, and, well we're going to talk about that yeah, in a yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so that's so, just a teaser. Uh, so um, my own path in terms of experiencing spirit began when I was about 12 years old. Uh, I... Um, I, I was I began backpacking in nature in in the Sierra Nevada. Growing up in Southern California, I made many trips into the wilderness of the Sierra, and you know the the, the delicate rays of sunset on, on the mountain, or the mist of the waterfall, or just the the perfection of the wilderness and the incredible beauty of the of the mountains. You know, reading John Muir helped me appreciate uh, the, the the mystical qualities of the Sierra wilderness. And I knew from those experiences that uh, there was more to reality than I had led to been, been led to believe, that the, the beauty was unmistakably expressive of a higher order and, and a higher meaning to the universe. Uh, other um, elements on my path, uh, in the 70s as a teenager, I um, uh, had many psychedelic experiences, which were unmistakably spiritual. Um, with the onset of psychedelics, there was a... a um, an unmistakable experience of cosmic consciousness where the spiritual nature of the universe became laughably obvious, right? It's sort of the, the awareness of this higher level of reality that we're usually veiled from was a spiritual teaching in itself. And so psychedelics, while not an exclusive spiritual path for me, definitely opened me up to the spiritual reality of the world and set me on a lifelong course of, of or spirituality. Or you can see that life isn't exactly... What it seems to be, maybe it's more than that, or right, something. Yeah. Right. 
beyond that, I could add that um, through, uh, again, more um, backpacking alone in the wilderness as, as a young man, mm-hmm. um, uh, meditating, undertaking varieties of spiritual practices. I've had um, experiences that are best described as mystical. But I've also had experiences of the theistic side, and I think that the, the spiritual experience that I've really come into um, and been greatly benefited by within that realm has been the experience of the love of the Creator. You know, the, the presence of God is loving. It's personal. It's, it's, it's a relational, irreducibly relational in the way that I know that I am known and loved and cared for um, with the heart of the universe. And, and that experience has been so, uh, uh, so full and so deep, and it, it comes to me so often that it is, um, you know, it's, it's really the foundation of my, my entire spiritual path is the love of God. And that that's, feels like such an unusual thing that you admit to this infinite universe and, and uh, non-dual kind of way of thinking, and then yet there's a personal God on the other hand. Yeah, not an I anthropocentric mean, God, not, not, not okay. a mythic God. It's, it's not the God of, of uh, Michelangelo in the, in the Sistine Chapel as no. a bearded uh, fellow. Judge in the sky. Judge, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's not what you're what you're talking about. Well, we'll talk more about this in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Steve McIntosh, and he's the author of "The Presence of the Infinite: The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness." And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website stevemackintosh.com, and he spells his last name, Macintosh, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H, Macintosh.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Steve McIntosh. He's the author of The Presence of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. Steve, you mentioned theism. You mentioned uh, non-dualism. You've mentioned a few things. You have really looked deeply into what are the strengths and what are the shortcomings of some of these cultural, let's say, movements and, and ideas. So let's talk about... What is the strength of theism, and what is its challenge? What is its um, shortcoming? Sure. Well, uh, theism stands for uh, the the 
forms of spirituality that recognize uh, some kind of, of, of God, and, and it includes a wide variety, but it's most usually associated with the Abrahamic religions, you know, Judaism, uh, Christianity, and Islam, all of which recognize uh, a, a personal creator who is the source of reality and who is all-knowing and, and, and loving and, and, uh, and creative of the world. But, but, but because theism in our culture is usually associated with um, traditional forms of spirituality, which science and, and uh, our, our larger culture has is, is been engaged for the past several hundred years of trying to push off against that. And right, Bill to, Maher. To, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. To escape you know, but the pathologies of traditional religion. It's oppressive, patriarchal quality. It's feudal political system. It's myths. It's reliance on miracles. There's many things about— Religious spirituality, we, we've effectively transcended as a culture, at least the, you know, the more progressive side of it. And many forms of uh, alternative or progressive spirituality have sought to reclaim spirit or reclaim an enchanted universe in a way that uh, transcends and leaves behind the, the, the myths and the shortcomings and, and the, the, um, the, the patriarchal quality of the Abrahamic religions, right, for evolutionarily appropriate reasons. And Progressive spirituality, as it's matured over the last 50 years, has uh, gradually come to favor um, an alternative conception of ultimate reality to a theistic, God-centered uh, reality, and that's non-dual, as it's known. And non-dualism, the idea that the universe is all one thing and that there's no separation and that we're fundamentally connected in oneness, that's a true and beautiful and good spiritual teaching, which we can find at the heart of Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta, Hinduism, and, and also many forms of, of the Western religions, the Sufism or the Kabbalah mysticism. Even within Christianity, we can see Meister Eckhart as a non-dual teacher uh, within the Christian tradition. So non-duality has, in a sense, uh, developed within progressive spiritual culture uh, and brought forward this important uh, aspect, this family of, under, of views about what it means to experience spirit, what it means to practice your spirituality, and what is ultimately true and real. And it's kind of, in, in my circles, I can feel it kind of like the new yoga of, of spirituality, non-dualism. I mean, people are, are just kind of flocking to it as, as this is the end-all, be-all. Of, of spirituality. Right. Within progressive spiritual culture, yes. uh, non-duality has come to represent the sort of uh, the agreement about the highest form of spiritual understanding you know, within that cultural space. And I think that that's an important development. But evolutionary spirituality attempts to transcend and include progressive spirituality, just as the integral worldview that evolutionary spirituality is a part of attempts to transcend the postmodern worldview by re-including the modern and traditional worldviews that came before. So evolutionary spirituality uses the important accomplishments of the, the development of this non-dual complex, this interreligious agreement about non-duality. It sees its important strengths. It, it is um, uh, informed by all of its accomplishments regarding practices and what it means to be enlightened. Such as meditation and just uh, not being run so completely by our thoughts or our ego self or sure wise non-attachment you know, uh, mindfulness in, in interconnectedness right inter interconnectedness yes yes, yes. Um, and and a way and a way of reclaiming spirituality that it is seemingly um, total sim simple and very spare it doesn't have a whole lot of doctrinal baggage that's it's bringing it's just sort of simple and something that's directly experiential and indeed non-duality points to what I call in the book, 
an attractor basin of spiritual experience, you know, a wide variety of spiritual experiences, but at the heart of it or the, the deepest part of this attractor basin is what's known as samadhi or the unitive experience, wherein the, a, a mystical experience where someone encounters the absolute dimension of being in which they are absorbed into the oneness. And, and this non-dual experience is, um, uh, is reported by those who've had it to be have a hyper-lucid quality that changes the texture of reality. It, you know, the non-dual unitive experience is certainly one of the most profound spiritual experiences that humans are capable of having. However, <laughs> I can I can sense there is a however. Well, there's a there's a a, a transcendence and an inclusion. So, evolutionary spirituality. The progressive spirituality, what we used to call New Age spirituality, but is broader than that term and includes you know many ancient Eastern lineages that go beyond anything that's New Age. But I, I try to use the term progressive spirituality to describe this. The tendency there is to, is a pluralistic welcoming, which is a strength, which often talks about the differences in different spiritual paths as simply different paths to the top of the same mountain. But it can't it, it become kind of a cafeteria like. Uh, uh, selection of right. okay, well, I'm going to try this. I mean, I, or I'm going to do this for a while, or this for a while, and and isn't that one of the weaknesses that it? Well, the, the, there's a flip side. The strength yeah. of welcoming pluralism has a shadow of anything goes relativism, right? right. Where we yeah. can't distinguish the higher forms from the lower forms right. because everything's equally good. Yeah. And again, that's an evolutionarily appropriate step. That's how we transcend the secular modern world. Is we re-enchant the universe by letting a thousand flowers bloom. Right. So. Progressive spirituality is really beautiful in that way, but it also remains sort of counterculturally isolated from the rest of the of the uh, society. You know, it hasn't impacted the academia or the educational system. It hasn't impacted the mainstream media very much. It's it's after fifty years, the gravity of its truth or of its values has not been sufficient to pull a significant number of Americans into its orbit. So you have some. You've done some research on statistics of. How many people uh, are, are live within the traditionalism kind of panthe- pan, uh, thought? Right. And then there are those that are in the, what's the next one? The, well, the according, modernist, modernist worldview. Modernist and worldview. And then there's this, the— Postmodern. Postmodern or the uh, uh, Co- progressively <laughs> spiritual. Um, right. So, Sometimes known as the cultural creatives. Or cultural yeah. creatives. Yeah. All right. So what what what's the percentage? Uh, well, the, the worldviews themselves, according to integral philosophy, history is proceeding through stages of emergence, and there are a variety of ways to divide up human history, and, and in some ways, uh, we don't want to look at it linearly mm-hmm. or think of it as a kind of clunk and grind steps, but like all evolution, it proceeds through a series of emergent stages, and we've seen an emergence from tr- traditional into modernist over the last 350 years, although 30% of the American population remains at a traditional worldview where what defines reality is scripture more than science. Mm-hmm. About 50% of the mainstream of America are modernists. They do frame reality from a scientific, rational worldview. And uh, uh, they are suspicious of New Age spirituality or alternative forms of spirituality. There are 50% approximately of the American demographic population. So that's 80% of the population now we've accounted for. Right. Postmodernism or this countercultural segment is about 20%. 
you know, of course, is much more concentrated in, in places like Northern California where we are or Boulder, Colorado, where I live. But across America, there are many people who identify with the progressive postmodern worldview, have these countercultural loyalties. And the spirituality that has its center of gravity within this countercultural world is progressive spirituality as I'm defining it. Although there are many modernists, many modernists sort of self-help programs mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. commercial enterprises use the the insights of, of progressive spirituality. Right, it's like meditation. Or, po- yeah, we can see or how yoga the, or, the mindfulness movement is a way of progressive spirituality giving back to modernism and penetrating modernism mm-hmm. on terms that they can accept. But, but at its heart, progressive spirituality is, is thoroughly postmodern. But you're saying also it's not a strong enough frame of reality to to pull all of the rest uh, into an evolutionary way of spirituality. Right, right. Is that what you're— is, Yeah, yeah. You know, one I, of the themes of the book is spiritual leadership, that the developed world is highly fragmented in terms of these different kinds of spirituality. And while we're never going to have a monolithic belief system, spiritual pluralism will certainly be preserved. The idea that there, there could be a, a, a greater agreement among more people in our society about the spiritual reality of the beautiful, the true, and the good. You know, that's sort of widely acceptable. You don't have to adopt a belief system to recognize the spirituality of that. That these kind of overarching agreements can create solidarity, you know, within a culture, can create agreement at a basic spiritual level that can provide spiritual leadership by um, improving the quality of our civilization, right? Better art, more inspiring education, uh, more sophisticated intellectual life, less political polarization. There are many practical benefits in the world that more effective forms of spiritual leadership could bring. And that's what evolutionary spirituality is attempting to do. Now, each of these places, they have their own view of of the reality of the universe or the infinite or reality of why we're here. And that's one of those basic questions, why we're here. And and you talk about how we were pulled forward by that question. Right. And so how if if we were just sitting as as a theist, as as we're taking scripture as literal, then why we're here would be our our definition of why we're here. We'd to, answer to do that. God's will, to be a pious person, to live a, a righteous life. Uh, you know, like Rick Warren is, is a well-known thought leader within traditional spirituality, and his book, A Purpose-Driven Life, sold 30 million copies. Right. So that that's very good for society because it, ten, it it's teaching us to be moral, to, to do unto others, to um, be a good person. Sure, even though yeah. the social conservative segment of our electorate um, still clings to, I would judge, as— um, culturally backward notions of, of, for example, their their fight against gay rights right. is on the wrong side of history. And so there, there are both dignities within this traditional uh, world space and disasters, which are the sort of can be understood as scaffolding that can be now removed and the building's more complete. We can prune away these pathologies without completely eliminating so the important values. you're saying within that there are subsets that are, are more uh, fundamentalist in their belief, in their reading of Scripture, uh, and, and, and some more progressive within that. Sure. Okay, so there's that. And now if we move to the modernist, um, 
So what do they believe about why we're here in general? Right. Well, this modernist segment, it's not everyone believes the same thing within modernism, right? There are modernists who have no conception or care about ultimate reality one way or another. There are those who go to church and who still identify with traditional spirituality to a degree. There are those who identify with progressive spirituality. But so they're not cohesive in, as a group. Well, it's, it's highly eclectic. I mean, we're, we're yeah. talking about a, a, a worldview that's the establishment, but of course we have left and right. We have, you know, spiritual mm-hmm. and not spiritual, mm-hmm. spiritual but not religious. I mean, these worldviews are not monolithic in their cultural agreements, but they do cohere as distinct systems of culture that can be identified mm-hmm. by their value horizons, if you will, right? Their, mm-hmm. their definition of what could be improved and how it could be done, what their values are. So— Within, progress, within modernist culture, we can see a kind of a form of, of um, belief which does the work of spirituality without ever using that term. And that's what I refer to as secular spirituality. I'm here with Steve McIntosh. He's the author of The Presence of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Steve McIntosh, and we're talking about The Presence of the Infinite, which is the title of his book. And uh, Steve, let's go. We've kind of set the groundwork of where we are a bit. Let's talk about, specifically, evolutionary spirituality. What What is it, and where might it take us? Sure. Well, evolutionary spirituality is a kind of a new truth about spiritual reality that is emerging as part of this integral perspective, which is a, a worldview in itself. Um, and, and there are many people working within this worldview who are not focused on spirituality. It's not exclusively a spiritual um, perspective. But the light that it brings in an understanding consciousness and culture and history and evolution when that light is applied to the subject of spirituality, it really yields um, some amazing new insights about uh, what spiritual growth is about, what the nature of spiritual experience is, uh, and how we can better integrate all the different kinds of spirituality that we find in our culture. Uh, evolutionary spirituality could also be called beauty, truth, and goodness spirituality because this is sort of part of its main focus and one of the main truths that it brings to bear that that adds to, you know, the larger corpus of spiritual understanding within our culture. So those are three words that we understand pretty well, or at least we have our own personal concept of what is beautiful, what is good, and what is truthful. Uh, and so those words might might take it out of that heady realm of philosophy or or theology and bring it kind of down into the concrete. And tell me, um, I know that when you talk about this, you talk about it being inclusive of theism, right? of the best of theism, the right. strengths of theism, mm-hmm. and the strengths of non-duality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you you it's just marvelous the way you—and it's not a combination of the two, so talk about it. Sure. 
One of the technologies of, of integral uh, thinking is this ability to see um, interdependent polarities, whether that's male and female or individual and community, mercy and justice, freedom and order, right, competition and cooperation. We can mention these positive, positive polarities that are part of our everyday experience that, that help to co-create each other, that true each other up. But in working with these polarities, one of the natural tendencies that folks have is, is for to, in, to embrace one pole and to try to invalidate the other, right? So within progressive culture, the polarity of competition and cooperation, it, people often say comp, cooperation is good, competition is bad, and we just need to cooperate and stop competing and being adversarial. And I think there's obviously some truth to that. Cooperation can generate a ton of value, but so can competition. And if, if, co- if cooperation is left without any individual excellence or personal initiative, it can become groupthink, it can stagnate, it become highly bureaucratic. So ideally, when we have, when we're faced with an interdependent, indestructible, existential polarity that continues to reappear in new form, working with these polarities as systems of development means that one side ultimately has reference to the other. So this, these polarities that we find in nature are, as I argue in the book, expressions of the prime polarity of infinite and finite, or being and becoming. And that's why this motif of whole and part can be seen uh, in, in all these sort of interdependent polarities. So recognizing that non-duality in its fullness as a spiritual teaching exhibits these characteristics of being in an interdependent polarity with this understanding of the love of God and, and, and a, a recognition of a, of a self-aware creator, as I spoke about earlier. And we can now, through at the evolutionary level, begin to work with this polarity of theism and non-duality in a way that both sides can true each other up. Both sides can allow each other to be more fully what they are. Uh-huh. I think what pops for me mm-hmm. is what you said of, uh, just a moment ago in polarities, and mm-hmm. you described, you said, very briefly, you said male and female. Mm-hmm. And that really like, oh, right. It's not a matter that we're going to combine male and female to be this one androgynous sort of being, mm-hmm. uh, but the male stays unto itself in its own beingness, and the female stays unto herself in her own beingness. And, but they do co-create. Right, there's a procreative <laughs> tension between the two. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with androgyny, but it does eliminate the procreative tension. And so the fact that these, these um, and male and female retains this, this motif of part and whole, you know, female whole, male part, both anatomically as well as, you know, psychically in a way, and so this motif of the universe is, uh, it, we, if we think about infinite and finite with evolution re- reuniting the two, the thesis, the antithesis, and the synthesis, we can see how these polarities f- mirror that dialectical trajectory of development. So we can begin to harness the full truth of non-duality and the full truth of a loving creator in a way that complements and challenges. I mean, the challenge of non-duality, the challenge of no self, the challenge of existential oneness to the teachings of theism are important. But the challenges of the fact that we're original individuals who can love and be loved as real entities in the world, that we have souls that are evolving, you know, that, that we are in the world to make it better, that this is a challenge to many non-dual teachings. 
But the challenge is we don't need to have a, to pick a winner, nor do we have to say it's all true and it's a paradox and that's it. So in, I remember reading about free will, let's say, mm-hmm. and this is one of the objections possibly to non-dualism that if you really take it out to its ultimate definition mm-hmm. or as it describes itself, then it wouldn't matter that we have free will because nothing matters anyway. It's all a void and it's all an illusion. And I, I, I'm not quite couching this right, but well, help me out. Well, it's hard to ground the concept of individual responsibility and personal free will within the context of a teaching that there is no self or that the self itself is an illusion. Right. Um, and we, But we don't have to make that truth wrong. We can simply acknowledge that there's a, you know, Houston Smith is famous for saying that the, the opposite of a small truth is a falsehood, but the opposite of a great truth is an equal and opposite great truth. So we're all one, but we're also original. You know, mm-hmm. that, that and, and this is sort of a, a, a clue to how we can in our spiritual practice practice non-duality in its fullness and and experience the oneness without having to have to erase the practice of experiencing the presence of God. Well, I, I can remember, and we spoke about this briefly before this interview, I can remember at a time when I started in my way uh, of delving into Buddhism and delving into the idea of no self and and in in really starting to embrace non-dualism. Mm-hmm. And how you mention in your book, you you have a phrase, something about the vertigo, the vertigo, experiencing vertigo with no God. And I remember having an a physical experience of my my sadness, and I was just bereft of the idea that there is no personal God. And so, being reading your book and really delving into your ideas of integral philosophy. I'm realizing, wait, there's here it is. I don't have to give up that marvelous um, desire for communion with a personal loving God and then hold that, okay, that there there is a non-dual universe and that, that there is an infinite quality of the universe. Right. This is part of the practice, the spiritual practice that's made available through evolutionary spirituality is allowing these poles of spiritual experience to sort of true each other up, right? We don't want to mistake oneness for wholeness, but we want to allow the deep and everlasting truths of non-duality to influence our practice on the other side as well. In other words, like if we if we think about a yin yang, right? Within the black wave is a white dot, and with the white wave is the black dot. And at the evolutionary level of spirituality, practicing non-duality in its in, in fullness means reckoning with the challenge of theism. And practicing a theistic path in its fullness means recognizing the truths of non-duality that that those apply. And and in the book, I go into detail about what it means to practice the love of God within a non-dual context. And within that, I know that you have this concept, which I loved, was something like, I think you, I think you call it triunity. Mm-hmm. And and that's that, that, that threesome. So here's the one, the theism on one side, non-dualism, uh, informing each other. But there's also this middle place mm-hmm. and the third. And, and I'm just thinking in all— 
truth, beauty, goodness are threes. Right. The uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, right. in 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 the some religions, and even going back to Eastern religions, that that thought of the three kind of keeps cropping up. Right. There's something very sacred about this triune relationship, and we can see it in the dialectical process of evolution itself, right? Thesis, antithesis, synthesis, or infinite, finite evolution, right? All of these polarities that I've talked about are indicating a third thing. The third thing is the transcendence of the polarity without a compromise fallacy that just tries to cluge them together and meet in the middle in some kind of mediocre compromise. The, the tension energy that is inherent in these interdependent, indestructible polarities is the source of energy for the transcendence itself. So when I talk about God, I want to make clear that um, I'm not talking about an anthropocentric God with human tendencies, right? That's something that is resonant at the mythic level. But because this evolutionary spirituality is two dialectical steps removed from the pathologies of the traditional level, we can take a fresh look and we can see that uh, as the source of all reality, ultimate reality, uh, is in some ways the perfection not just of being or not just of truth, but the perfection of personality. Because our personal experience, our relationships, our um, experience of loving one another, that's the most spiritually real experience we can have while on earth. So whatever ultimate reality is, it can't be less than personal. And, and so although it's certainly more uh, than any human conception of personality uh, could fathom, um, the idea that that the love itself is irreducibly relational. Mm-hmm. And that relational quality of love, in a sense, is a challenge to the non-dual teaching that there's only one thing. Right. And, and, and that it, when you talk about evolution, evolution is what pulls us to make things better. Right. right? The beautiful, the true, and the good have a gravity on our consciousness. They have a magnetism, to-be-pursuedness kind of built into them. And that's how the infinite pulls the finite into greater states of evolution, greater states of perfection, continuous improvement toward the beautiful, the true, and the good by the beautiful, the true, and the good. I mean, this, this pull on consciousness begins with, with, with life, which strives to survive and reproduce. Surviving and reproducing is a primitive form of goodness that animates and attracts all life forms. And that at the human level, we, we are, are, are transcended into a new level where the value gravity of the beautiful, the true, and the good can impact our consciousness in even new ways where we're always seeking higher levels of self-actualization. So one of the different definitions of goodness could be uh, that which benefits life. That's certainly, you know, aliveness, flourishing, well-being, yeah. uh, the move toward greater perfection. You know, and good. It, it's beyond, like, morality, so to speak. It's it's bigger than that. And, and let's talk about that in just one moment. I'm here with Steve McIntosh, and he's the author of The Presence of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. Thank you. 
I'm here with Steve McIntosh, and he's the author of The Presence of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. And we are talking about integral philosophy and spirituality. And Steve, we were just talking about goodness. Maybe it is it can include moral issues, but it also is bigger than that when we talk about goodness is one of those precepts of evolutionary spirituality. Sure. I think of goodness more of as a verb than a noun. I think of it as a direction of evolution. It's it's never fully achieved. It's only approached, you know, to greater or greater degrees. If we think about perfection, if we think about that which can be made no better, right, the, the, sort of the end of evolution is perfection in a way. And if we think about goodness as perfection's plumb line, you know, in terms of the gravity of that which could be improved, the gravity of that which could be more perfect, goodness is the ultimate definition of that. You know, goodness involves love because we could say that love is the desire to do good to others. You know, but goodness manifests love in service in a way. Goodness is given out in our work through the service that we do. I, I think of love as a kind of um, glue, mm-hmm. you know, that it's a, an attractive force. It attracts it, it doesn't repel. It brings things together mm-hmm. rather than bust things apart. It's just one of the concepts I hold about love. Right. It po- even though I'm, I'm placing it on the theistic side, it points to the non-dual just like the white dot and the black wave in that even though love is irreducibly relational, it also is an expression of oneness. In the extent that we love each other, we're one. And so— each one points to the other. And, and so we mentioned earlier uh, this idea of, of a triune understanding of ultimate reality. It may be ironic to think that non-duality is linked with theism in, in, in indestructible know. polarity, right? Many I non-dualists can, would balk at the proposition, which I understand and appreciate. I know. I can feel our list, some of our <laughs> listeners' heads spinning on that right, one. Right, But we don't want to confuse oneness with wholeness. And there's clearly you know, a, non-dual, a non-dual spiritual experience of, of samadhi is completely transconceptual, and that's one of its beauties. But because it's transconceptual, it doesn't lend itself well to conceptual claims of belief system superiority. And that is, there's this entire other universe of spiritual experience and practice, and the great, many great saints and sages throughout history have testified to the reality of this, transcending traditional understandings. And that is this theistic side, or the side where that God is a loving creator that is self-aware. Uh, that form that giant treasure trove of human spirituality and experience can't just be dispensed with. You know, it's here to stay. It'll just reappear at higher levels, which is what it's doing now through evolutionary spirituality. I I can remember years ago, uh, we did several interviews with Father Bede Griffith, Mm -hmm. and he he was kind of on the track of this. He was— he was, I think, a Benedictine monk, mm-hmm. and so he had its Catholic roots, very in so theistic religion, Catholic, so forth. And he went to India, and he opened an ashram, and he also expressed in that ashram Vedanta, mm-hmm. which is part of the the non-dual thinking. And so he walked into both of those worlds. I I felt like I made the statement. He was one of the most holy men I think I've ever been in the presence of. To be in his presence, you, just something about him was holy, wow. is all I can say. Wow. And he kind of walked that line. I mentioned him in the book yes. as one of the pioneers of this understanding of, of this interdependent relationship between the non-dual and the theistic. 
Another great spiritual genius in this area is Hans Kuhn, who's a progressive uh, Catholic theologian, you know, and, and who certainly acknowledged the work of Bede Griffiths. So there, there, there is a um, uh, uh, kind of a intellectual, esoteric tradition within theology of recognizing that uh, that these these two huge great forms of spirituality can true each other up, and they don't cancel each other out. And that if, if finding a way to, to embrace them both and and practice them both with reference to the other uh, is, is, I think, a, an important avenue of development for human spirituality. And I know it ain't fully cooked yet. Oh, no. All truth is partial. That's why it's a direction of evolution. There's always more. So it's a direction. So it's you're not uh, insinuating that you're, you have or others have tied this up in, a, in, a, in a, a neat little package, and now we can set it on our desk and say, okay, we've arrived at the great truth. Uh, Heavens no. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, these, these inner— Dependent polarities, as I've been speaking of, the way they work as engines of evolution is that it's like a, a like legs that take steps one after the other. Each one holds the moral high ground or the the truth by turns, right? So you can take one step fully, but then to go beyond it, you have to bring forward the challenge of the other, right? So they, they, again, they're dynamic. It's a false rest to try to say both and. It's more dynamic than both and. It's uh, it, it's the way one complements but also contradicts the other. You know, how can we be loving individuals beloved by God and have no selves, right? How can we be original but also an undifferentiated aspect of the whole? These are challenges which may never be resolved as long as our minds remain in time. Mm-hmm. But we can't settle for paradox either, as I mentioned, because this, this interdependent polarity as an engine of evolution invites our engagement in a way that causes us to grow. Right, we're part of right. what's evolving in the universe. So it's very dynamic in its essence. Right. And what is your hope for all of this? For for um, uh, spiritual evolutionary spirituality. What's your hope for this? Well, I hope that it will be able to provide uh, more effective forms of spiritual leadership for the developed world because it'll be better able to harmonize science and spirituality. Right. Not that they're the same thing. That's an indestructible polarity as well. But but we can engage the challenge of science to spirit and the challenge of spirit to science using this important technique of polarity practices whereby we we hold each one by turns and allow them to true each other up. So my hope is that people who are within progressive spiritual culture, who've been involved with it for decades like you and I, um, can recognize that it's made some very important accomplishments, but it, we could do better. You know, progressive spirituality could, if it were to um, become more developed in the form of evolutionary spirituality, it could be appealing to a much wider demographic than the audience that it currently reaches and thereby provide the kind of social solidarity that would help us raise to a higher level of civilization and address the urgent problems that we face in this time of history more effectively. So in um, there are many who talk, not many, but there are some who talk about like, Quantum physics is is that it really is a spiritual right. s- sort of uh, expression. Right. But but what would you say about that? Well, I, I would say first I would quote Emerson, who said that every natural fact is a shadow of some higher spiritual fact, and that's why evolution itself, the scientific story of evolution, is itself a spiritual teaching. 
it's a, a truth that big is bound to contain more than just scientific facts. There's truth in there properly interpreted that can enliven us spiritually. And so quantum physics is an, is an element of the universe discovered by science, which certainly has spiritual implications. At the hands of some progressive spiritual authors, however, they've, they've sort of pushed it in ways and interpreted it in ways that have caused the scientists who were responsible for discovering it to balk. Right? Many scientists uh, re- reject and object to the use of quantum physics as a, as a sort of evidence for spiritual reality. And I don't really uh, – I think quantum physics does point to some, spirit, some spiritual realities. But I don't think we can simply say science has discovered the ontological spiritual truth of the universe in quantum physics and that's that. I think there's you know, lots of nuances there. I think in there. one of the uh, contributions that quantum physics makes, at least – in my very finite and limited understanding, yeah. is was made by David Bohm, who mm-hmm. we had the experience of interviewing quite a few times before he passed. And uh, it, it was he talked about the implicate and explicate order. Right. And that kind of, I think, really kind of falls into that place that you're talking about, the finite and the infinite. Mm-hmm. You- yeah, I think Bohm was definitely on to some truths. And, and as a respectable and accomplished scientist himself, uh, he was less prone to move into the kind of pseudoscience that we see with other uh, progressive spiritual authors. Um, I can't comment directly on his theory of the implicit and explicit order, but I know that it added to our understanding of what's true and that it was an important step along the way of discovering this larger reality. So you're, it's like you're, you, you see it as growing rings of a tree that we include what's gone before. We don't throw that out, the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, and we find that which is useful and that which is effective in our evolution, is, is right, that right. fair that, to say? That's the, um, the, the master technique of evolution, which is a sort of dialectical development, where, where evolution always builds on what the accomplishments of what came before. When something more comes from something less, it takes up and uses the accomplishments of the something less in its transcendence, right? And that's why the, the degree of our transcendence is ultimately measured by the scope of our inclusion, right? If we want to add to the structure of emergence and create something that's permanent and that the evolution can build on further, we have to include what came before. And that doesn't mean including it uncritically. And part of the transcendence is to prune away the problems with the current condition and to overcome its shortcomings, but not to eliminate it entirely. So it's it's inclusive of that which is useful, good, which is beautiful, which is truthful. Yes. <laughs> we'll say using those three words. Yeah. And, and but not, it's not saying, okay, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. It's really saying, yes, this too. Right. Evolutionary spirituality uh, attempts to take the best of traditional spirituality, a secular understanding of the, of the world, and a progressive spiritual understanding. All of these have important accomplishments that we must include in our transcendence. We must stand on the shoulders of the best parts of those. And that's the way evolution works. Steve, thank you for this dynamic and and insightful conversation. A lot to chew on. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Justine. It's been a great pleasure. I've been speaking with Steve McIntosh. He's the author of The Presence of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. If you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, stevemcintosh.com. He spells his last name, McIntosh, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H stevemackintosh.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. 
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3559. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.